Welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial Methodist Church. In today's message, Pastor David Cartwright reminds us that after Jesus had finished his time of testing in the wilderness, Scripture tells us that angels came and tended to him. It is a picture of God's care in the face of trial and testing. In our modern day, many things allure us, but nothing compares to the goodness that God offers. Jesus promised that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed, for they will be filled. Greater hunger for God leads not to starvation. It ends in deep satisfaction. The door to intimacy with God is ours to open. Jesus stands ready to come and set his feast table for us. We wrap up today a brief journey that we've taken over the last three weeks kind of like a short preparation to enter into a season of preparation of Lent. Just as a recap so that you remember, your invitation first was to become hungry. Hungry for God, not things of the world, not the blessings of God, hungry for God himself. And then trusting that when you hunger for God that he will answer and he will speak and when he speaks, we want to hear, and so we want to do those things to put our hearts and minds in a position to recognize God's voice when he speaks. And then understanding that when he speaks, there is obedience required, and so we want to put aside from our lives anything that we don't have under the lordship of Jesus Christ, to submit perfectly to his will. But then that might leave us with the question, okay, pastor, so if I am responsive to God, I hear his voice, I I, I embrace his call upon my life, and I submit wholly to him, where does that leave me? Out high and dry, do I have nothing? Where does that leave me? And what I want you to understand is that when we come to that point, we will find that we are blessed that God pours his goodness into our lives. He does not leave us uh, without. He, He fills our lives with his goodness. Or, as the psalmist puts it, with a table prepared, a table of his blessing. This psalm has been... Uh, one of the most memorized and precious scriptures for people over generations. And it's been the subject of many books, many pastors, many scholars have, uh, have unpacked the 23rd Psalm. They've written about it in powerful ways, and I don't pretend to uh, rehearse any of those with you today. But I want perhaps to just embrace the perspective of the psalmist when he begins by saying, I have put myself in the care of a sovereign, eternal, loving God. When he says, the Lord is my shepherd, and because of that, I shall not what? I shall not be in want. To put it another way, he says, because God is my caregiver and I have entrusted myself 
completely to him, I will lack no good thing. And good meaning good as it comes from God. He will not hold back from me. Now the world may want to convince me otherwise. and You and I know that by experience. I thought about my growing up years. Can any of you remember that far back? When I was uh, growing up out of childhood in what I, in my mind, thought quickly into adulthood. Boy, do I have, did I have much to learn. But while I was still under the care of my parents, I found that there, there were many times when I wanted to go hang with a certain group of people. I wanted to go participate in some kind of activity uh, on a trip or uh, something was going on and and I wanted to go do that. And sometimes my parents said yes, and many times my parents said no. And I really did not appreciate the restrictiveness that my parents exercised over my life. I thought at that time that, you know, they're just holding back on me. There, there's goodness out there that I should be embracing and, and that's, that's just not right that, that I can't go uh, enjoy the fullness of the experience of my life right now. I know that's happened to no one else, but that was my experience. And what I've come to understand is that God had granted a measure of wisdom to the people who had been given the charge of caring for me. And I didn't understand their wisdom at that time, but I know that what they were doing was for my own good. The psalmist expresses the same thing when he writes that he, he makes me lie down in, green, not just pastures, green pastures. He leads me beside still waters or quiet waters or some translations may say that a little bit differently what the psalmist is saying is that he's just not letting me go any random place he is putting me in the places that truly are for my benefit for my good he's not allowing me to go to those places where harm may befall me he is putting me in those places where I will be blessed That's what God does. And we, we live in a world where all kinds of things entice us, allure us. They, they cry out to us and say, oh, I'm good for you. You'll enjoy me. You need to embrace and, and give yourself over to this pleasure or, or uh, you know, this pursuit, whatever it might be, the, there are so many things that say, come to me. You won't regret it. And God's wisdom says, that's not where you need to be. We put ourselves in God's hands, trusting that God has good things in store for his children. I have come to believe, and I am absolutely convinced, that at the root of most if not all temptation 
is the idea that God is holding out on us. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And the tempter says, you know, God's just keeping you from maximizing your life. But that's not what God was doing. I'm convinced that at the root of temptation, most if not all, is that idea that God's holding out on you. It's just not true. The psalmist says, put your hands, put yourself in the hand of a good shepherd who will always lead you to green pasture and still water. He has your best in mind for you. The psalmist goes on and uh, says something that kind of takes it to another level when, when he says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Okay, This has to do with purpose, and you know at this point that he's not just talking about four-legged sheep. If you were to ask a sheep, a lamb, an animal, four-legged furry creature, what their purpose in life is, I know you have to pretend here with me for a moment, but their response to you, if they were able to offer an intelligent response at all, they would, that, that animal would say, I eat grass, and occasionally I make little lambs. That's what I do, right? There's no sense of higher purpose. But the psalmist understands that God has not only cared for him, but he's called him. And he's given him an opportunity to participate in a purpose that transcends just one's individual life. He, has, he leads me in righteous paths, not for my sake, and we would like that, right, because it's all about us, but it's not for my sake, it's for his sake. His sake. You see, this is why when Jesus taught and, and gave us what we call the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, that he was able to say in verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. He sounded pretty confident about that. Why is he so confident that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled? I would contend that it's for this reason. That those who hunger and thirst for righteousness find themselves hungering and thirsting for the same thing God wants. Because he hungers and thirsts for righteousness. And I'm quite convinced that a sovereign, all-powerful God who ultimately will work his will is going to have righteousness. And if you find yourself hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you're going to yearn for the same thing God's yearning for. And you're going to get it. Because God's going to get it. He invites us to participate in his great purpose of life with the promise that it will be fulfilled. Just as a side note, it makes me think about the book of Revelation. Trust me, I'm not unleashing that one on you today. 
But I would contend, among other things, that the book of Revelation does one great thing for the church, and it doesn't matter whether it's the 21st century the church or the 1st century church. It is a reminder that when all things are said and done, God wins. And if you are on God's side, you win too. Think of it this way. If you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan... I know that's dangerous to say in Cowboys country. But if you were a Chiefs fan and you went into the Super Bowl knowing in advance that the Chiefs were going to win, you might have an extra level of confidence putting on your paraphernalia and showing up because you know you're not going to have to walk home with your tail tucked between your legs. You already know your team's going to win. Guess what, church? You already know the outcome. You know you serve a God whose purposes will prevail. And you have an opportunity to become hungry for the same things God craves. And you know that you're going to get it. But then the psalmist comes to this point where we come to this image that I really want you to take home with you. The psalmist says, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I love the image of that banquet table. And I love the image of one being pursued, assailed, attacked from all kinds of angles and for that one to be able to say hold on I need to sit down at the feast of my master and enjoy his blessing it's a beautiful image the psalmist understands that God's people will enjoy God's goodness Yes, in times that we would call good, because certainly we have good times, and we enjoy God's goodness in the midst of it. But we also can enjoy God's goodness at least as much, and maybe even more, in the times that we would call the difficult times, in the bad times, in the times of scarcity, in the times of uncertainty. God shows up, in the presence of whatever might be our enemy and provides a table of his goodness for our feast. If you ascribe this psalm to David, as many do, David meaning King David of the Hebrew people, you would understand that this man knows what he's talking about. David was a man who always didn't have it, I mean, like there were some tough times. There was a time before he actually became or entered into that kingship of, of Israel when Saul was still king and Saul was pursuing David all through the countryside trying to kill him. I don't know about you, but that's not what I rank as good times. When someone is after you trying to kill you, but even in the midst of that, David knew God's goodness. 
David had times when even some of his own family had turned against him and were causing him all kinds of heartache. Even in times like that, David understood God's goodness. Please don't misunderstand me. There were times when David got it wrong. And when David messed up, he messed up royally. I guess that's a good way of saying it for about a king, right? He messed up badly. And, and God had to, to, had to correct him over those things. But even, because, even in the midst of that, the scripture describes him, meaning David, as a man after God's own heart. David enjoyed the blessings of God in good times and bad times. He understood that he could say, in the presence of my enemies, God makes a table of blessing so that we might know him. Now, our enemies may be diverse. Sometimes our enemies really are people and Maybe you've had times when you've understood that it's somebody in your workplace who's out to undermine you and, and have your job or, or whatever it looks like. Maybe it's somebody in the community that's out to uh, uh, disgrace your name or they're working, working hard to make you look bad. Sometimes our enemies can be like that. Sometimes our enemies are not necessarily personal, but they might be uh, financial hardships or uh, times when uh, calamity has, has come upon you. Um, just, it's times of real hardship when, when you're just facing that, that dark, dark days. Our enemies take all kinds of forms. But we always remember that even in those times, God says, I give you my goodness. And that goodness begins with nothing less than him being present with you. Think about the, what the psalmist had already said before this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear because you're with me. You, God, are with me. And his presence with us can be goodness that outweighs any darkness that comes upon us. I went back and looked up uh, some words that were shared back in December. Some of you have already heard these because you take the wake-up call daily devotion. You may remember that during the season of Advent in December, uh, the wake-up call was being written by a pastor whose name is Sarah Wank. And during those devotions, she had shared uh, her own experience of a time when she and her husband were striving to have a child and uh, that the first, the first one had been lost, that it died in, in the womb. And she shared the heartbreak of that. I, I probably should preface that even in sharing this, I realized that it might seem that I shared this with, um, you know, with a sense of, like, I know what that feels like. Believe me, I don't. I have no idea what that would feel like. I have no idea of what, I mean, and it must be a, a, a terrible, devastating sense of grief and loss. So please don't think that I'm uh, lightening it by any means, but I wanted to share with you her words having gone, uh, having been found in the midst of this. And she writes this as I quote, 
In the moments just before learning that our daughter had died, I had a sense that she was gone. I was in denial, hoping it was simply my anxiety and not reality, when I laid down for a moment and quietly asked the Lord to heal her. In the darkness of that moment, the Lord was silent. He didn't answer me. In fact, his silence was an answer that she was gone. But in the most miraculous way, he broke into that darkness with presence. Even as I asked him to heal her and heard his silent response, I could feel Jesus closer than breath. I could feel a tenderness and consuming love that brought tangible peace even in the most profound grief I had ever known. He was so very near that even though I was devastated, I had Christ's presence to cling to as good news. Light entered and put the darkness in its place. Though the pain of it would be crippling in every way, God entered in with his truth to declare that his presence was ever near and that we weren't alone in our pain, that he would make a way forward through it, and even death couldn't derail his work of life and redemption. The truth of God's life, his good news, cannot be outdone. I found those to be powerful words from a person experienced what must be the most profound grief. To be able to say, even in the midst of that, God's presence was near in the face of her enemy. God made a table, a table of his blessing. As we enter into a season of reflection, fasting, a wilderness season, let's be reminded one more time that God's table of blessing is always before us. And it's there for us to partake. I'll leave you with an image. I'll take you back to the day that Jesus died. The scripture tells us that alongside Jesus, when he was on the cross, there were two other men. Both of them criminals who had been rightly accused and tried for their crimes. But they come across very different. One of those two men looked at Jesus with scorn. The other looked at him with humility. One of those men looked at Jesus and made a request that was nothing more than, if you are who you say you are, why don't you get yourself out of this mess and us with you? The other one looked at Jesus and simply said, Would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Scripture doesn't record Jesus responding to the first of those men. But it does record Jesus responding to the second. And Jesus said to him, Surely I say to you, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Paraphrased. Yes, I'll remember you. My table will be spread before you. And very soon, you are going to know 
my goodness at a level that you never could comprehend. Yes, my blessing is for you. And just remember, his blessing is for you too. So when you come to the table today, remember, God is good. And the blessing of Christ is offered to you. We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's Word. You can watch our worship services online at www.rmmcwp.net. May the Lord grant you the light of His truth as you journey through this day.